Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kolzig, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, Noel, how's it going this week? It's not going great. It hasn't been a, like a super great week today in particular. I made the very adult decision of I'm not going to take care of myself like I should. Uh-huh. Of, like, yeah, no, one of those kind of things where I just went, yeah, I don't feel like eating any of the food in the house. So I'm not going to eat. <laughs> I've definitely done that. <laughs> I yeah, can't go no, get food, but that would require moving. Uh-huh. So I'll just like not eat. That'll work out great. Yeah, no, that's super what happened today. And it also also coincided with I'm not going to have enough water or tea today either. So I'm like, haven't eaten. I'm like vaguely dehydrated. And so it's just like, oh man, my person's going to be so upset when she gets home. <laughs> finds out I haven't taken care of myself. Good. It's not good. It's it not is good. good. It's yeah. good. You... No, no, no. It's good that she's going to yell at me. Yes, that's but, what I mean. Um... I'm, I'm, I'm team Noel's person right now. But I've also yeah, no. absolutely made those same life choices, Noel. So I I feel uh-huh. you hardcore with that. Yeah, uh, yeah no, it's yeah. been a shitty week um, and in TV world and not. And I'm trying to just focus on the positive things, like the, the turnout for the youth climate strike, which was amazing, um, and other lovely... There's been positive news elsewhere in in the world and in TV, along with a lot of really shitty news. Um, The TV news that we need to talk about, though, is that Netflix has decided to cancel one day at a time because they uh, can't. They they claim that it doesn't have enough viewers and it just just doesn't have the audience and the numbers. And as I tweeted out, uh, my thoughts on this are basically the end of sports night. If you can't make money on one day at a time, you should get out of the money making business because this is not this cannot be an expensive show. So, and it's a very good show. It's a well-made, it's a critically beloved show. It has a very strong niche audience and fan base and it is incredibly palatable to like most mainstream American audiences in its format, its style and its performances. So like I hope somebody picks it up. <laughs> That's all I got. Anyone should be able to make money on this show, just about. Yeah, I have a number of thoughts about this cancellation, ranging from, you know, I can understand if you were dismayed by the viewer numbers for Sense8, because that show probably had to be very expensive. Yeah. And you know what? If you don't want to funnel money into that, I understand. It sucks. But I I can wrap my brain around the fact that our numbers don't line up with what we're putting into this. And I can understand that. I cannot understand that, all right, well, it's a licensed show from Sony Television, a studio that is in no way, shape, or form about to launch its own streaming service and therefore is not going to compete with you in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, we just... It's just, there's not enough viewers for this show that we don't give numbers for ever, unless it's something approaching 40 million. And, you know, we just, we just couldn't find a way to do it, to which I say, it's a multi-cam sitcom. Yeah. From a television studio that is notorious for its low licensing fees. Notorious. They basically paid Fox to air till death. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. So my whole thing here of like, 
feel like you have the money, Ted Sandros. I feel like you have the money. But there's something that you're not telling us here yeah. on a business side of things that I'm just like, I don't get it. In my best John Mulaney sort of voice of, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very frustrating. And their self-congratulatory sort of stuff of like, no, we're really dedicated to diverse diversity and voices and creators. And also we're going to cancel this show. And, but we feel super bad about it. And it's like, this is why capitalism is bad, everyone. Right here. <laughs> yeah, we're going to find other ways to tell these stories. Oh, oh you, so you value these stories. Why don't you renew this show then? Because the show's really good. Because we don't. And no own one else it. is telling these stories. So, <laughs> yeah. fuck you. Uh, basically. Yeah. yeah, brands are not your friend. Uh, brands are just looking for your money. And uh, that's all you should expect from them. Yeah, it's just. It's just crazy to me. It's just ridiculous. And hopefully it gets picked up. Uh, I, I, I did immediately think, hey, NBC, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, up a million viewers from last year, right? And eh, maybe. But I feel like maybe it actually, in some ways, it's a better fit for CBS and than it would be for NBC. But I don't know. Maybe ABC? I don't, I don't know that it's going to get picked up, but I would love if it did. Well, that's my problem. It's like, the, regardless, if it gets picked up, then it has like a larger issue of like, they won't have the rights to the first three seasons because Netflix owns those rights. So mm -hmm. they own library rights to that. So those first three seasons, unless Netflix is feeling generous, which Netflix does not feel no. generous, um, because if they did, they just renew the show, then it's not, you don't have access to those first three seasons as another distributor. Mm -hmm. It's not going to go to ABC because... ABC likes to own, because it's owned by Disney, likes to own whatever it airs. That's the problem with the Telecommunications Act of 1996, as I've expounded on. Yes, indeed. And so it's not going to go there. CBS or NBC would both be perfectly acceptable places for it to go. CBS would probably be the best place in terms of this is a network that, that wholeheartedly airs stuff produced by other studios, especially its comedies. Um, whereas NBC, now that it's owned by... Uh, you know, someone who who owns NBC now? I can't remember anymore. Is Comcast? Comcast still owns NBC. Um, that I don't see it going there. Plus, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they already owned it. So it just made sense for it to transfer over there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think anyone's going to pick it up. And just, yeah, yeah. It makes me, it makes me very frustrated. Yeah, it's very, very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a different sort of situation, I think, in which I feel very confident in saying that no one's going to pick up one day at a time. Whereas the, it doesn't exist for me in like a limbo space of, yeah, no, we committed to two seasons of this show. We just didn't have the money for it, which is yeah. where all the Winona Earp fans are with IDW. And it's just like, yeah, no, we totally want to do this. We just, we didn't budget right for that. <laughs> Our bad, we weren't good adults and corporate parents. Yeah. yeah. We didn't budget. That's another a sign in which thing. corporations yeah. are not your fan, not your, not your friends. Indeed. Yeah. That it's, I was reading up a little bit about that uh, earlier today and it was just very puzzling and confusing. It's like, but how do you, yeah. how do you have a business? How, yeah. How is this a thing? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is also why certain brands, maybe, you don't go into media production. Yeah, maybe that's not a good call for you. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyways, we will keep you apprised, uh, listeners, if anything develops on this story. We hope it does. We're not super expecting it to. No. Um, but at least we have the three seasons we have of One mm-hmm. Day at a Time, which are wonderful. And, uh, yeah, I, this is it's really frustrating. So I just need to catch up with Vita. <laughs> This is going to be our remaining uh, Latinx representation on the main cables, uh, cable channels and networks after Jane goes off the air later this summer or this like spring summer. So, yeah, yeah, that's depressing. Uh, less depressing our entertaining, albeit befuddled conversation about our spotlight show for this week, which is The Widow, which is an Amazon Prime show that stars Kate Beckinsale that many of you probably didn't know was a, like happened earlier this this year. Um I didn't know what happened and then I searched it up cuz we were going to talk about it and now it's in like every ad on Twitter for me. Um so I don't know if that's Same. just me. Yeah, okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that was an entertaining conversation at least. That's coming at the end of the show. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I didn't finish the show, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. We talk about that. Anyways, more on that at the end of the show. For now, we've got a full week in TV, so let's take a break and let's listen to a little DuckTales and come back with our week in comedy right after this. Look to the stars, my darling baby boys. Life is strange and vast, filled with wonders and joys. Face each new sun with eyes clear and true Unafraid of the unknown Because I'll face it all with you That was Della's Lullaby from DuckTales, a.k.a. the moon theme. More on that in a moment. This week we're talking in comedy about DuckTales, whatever happened to Della Duck. Then, or I guess, it doesn't feel like it should be said this way but the punctuation insists whatever happened to Della Duck this feels, yeah. feels wrong yeah. anyways then we have Full Frontal with Samantha B, March 13, 2019 the finale for I'm Sorry uh, New York versus LA or NY versus LA yeah then Broad City Sleep No More I uh, caught up on the season so we'll talk a little bit about that uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that and we'll round things up with better things uh this week the episode is nesting and uh it's talking about sort of season three so far we're three episodes into season three so how's it doing but before anything else we had to start with ducktales and which came back after you know hiatus since christmas right since the christmas episode yeah. um to reveal uh Padgett brewster as the voice of Della duck so what did you think of of this episode all right before we dive into like my geeking out and the nostalgia of this episode, um, it's pretty solid episode. Like I really, if, if you hadn't cast Paget Brewster for this, then I feel like it it needs her basically to really like work because she hits a number of like really solid like emotional inflections here in her voice performance that add just a great deal to what could have just have felt like a really exposition sort of heavy sort of episode coupled with some fun silliness with moon mites. But between her performance and then uh, being deeply frustrated, but still being deeply dedicated and both of those things coming through really, really closely. 
um, really clearly, I should say, in basically same line readings almost in some cases, that it just really elevates that kind of fill-in material of, all right, well, we've been teasing this, so we should explain what happened. And this is going to be the only vocal performance you get for about a solid 15 minutes of the episode until the moon people show up. Um, and then you, we get Julie Bowen doing what sounds like a Padgett Brewster impression, so much so that my person and I both thought that Padgett Brewster was doing the Moon Commando and Della Duck. <laughs> and we're just like, oh, that's very good, but we were so very wrong. So <laughs> the episode overall was really, really good. And I'm excited to see how the whole Gold City sort of thing plays into the end game for this particular story arc um but i it's just really good nostalgia factor aside and i will talk about this nostalgia factor after i hear about what you thought of the episode and how you thought that this uh did after a considerable amount of build-up basically uh from the show to reveal the answers to these questions yeah i absolutely agree the combo of the animation and Pedro brewster's performance really worked to get us to connect with della and and also even just this this sense of and maybe this is very maybe very likely this is me inferring what is not necessarily in the text but this sense of like one last big adventure before the kids come gone horribly awry you know um, but yeah, I thought that, that it was fun. It was structured well. Uh, the pacing, for the most part, worked. I don't have a connection to the video game, which we're going to get into here in a moment. Uh, but I still thought the musical moment was absolutely gorgeous and very well handled. Um, yeah, and, and the, there was a good balance of wacky. I think they, they escalated her mental state well. When she's by herself mm-hmm. and got like a good, like there was a good sense of um, pushing through because there's no other choice as opposed to because she's actually okay. Because she's not actually okay. Um, and, and and all of that came through in the writing and the performance and the animation. So I think it was a strong episode back. And it easily, you know, we, like you said, there's a lot of buildup. The show's been off the air for a while. Um, it would have been easy for this to miss or to not be honest with the emotions it should have. And I think that they threaded the, the, the net needle actually really well to, to get us to like and understand Della, um, at, even after, you know, so far, only seeing the, her absence and, and how much that has hurt her children. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was a good episode, yeah. Yeah, and... I, I I was really worried that the the gum jokes were going to run out, but like the gum itself, they <laughs> never got tired. They never wore out. And also, again, the show's dedication to making Gyro just a complete asshole, of course, of course it's black licorice flavored gum. Because of course it is. See, I it's actually just so perfect. like black licorice and oh, I no, like the black licorice. No, this is why we're friends. So that I can take all the black jelly beans out of out of your <laughs> your handful of them, right? So that you are not Ugh. poisoned with it. But no, I, that was fun, and it was just such an such an easy answer and such a hand wavy answer mm-hmm. that giving it that specificity and that little comedic note really, 
I think worked to to lampshade it and get us to get on board <laughs> because it's like it's way too easy to answer. But also imagine if you were had to chew black licorice gum for years or you'd die. Like I mean, come I would on, die. I would just choose to die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so um, why don't you fill in our listeners who are like me are were unaware? Um, actually, I, I was not uh, unaware when I watched the episode because Twitter told me, but but they had do not have this connection to the video game what are is all this nostalgia factor you're talking about right so 1989 uh the video game studio capcom who's best known for the Mega Man franchise um did a bunch of disney um tie-in games including ducktales uh for the nintendo entertainment system so the classic nes so this was released in 1989 and it's a lot of fun it's a really great platforming game with some really good mechanics in it um, but it's probably best known for the moon theme, which is generally considered one of the best pieces of video game music ever written. Um, and it was written by uh, the composer uh, Hiroshige uh, Tanamura, and he did a couple of other, um, whatchamacallit, uh, pieces for different games, but this is sort of like the game that uh, he's probably best known for. And like I said, the moon theme is the most famous piece of music from this game, but it's also probably, again, one of the best pieces of music from the 8-bit era ever. So it immediately calls up that sort of like slightly bouncy because the game had this level has slightly different gravity compared to the other ones because you're on the moon, um, which makes a big difference when the main mechanics in that game are pogo sticking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. And so the whole aspect of it is like I because of it, it's got that um, soft build, and then it like gets really, really fast. And that's how you kind of experience like the moon type of in the in the level itself is like you're like getting used to it. And then once you get used to it, you really get moving and really quickly and you figure out the mechanics of it. And so all of it works really, really well. And as soon as they do like a little remix of it, I just grabbed my person's arm as she's sitting next to me and just went, they did the moon theme. They're doing the moon theme. (laughs) And I got very, very excited. And then they just kind of kept going with it and like remixing it little pieces here and there throughout the episode. And then Kate, they, her lullaby set to the moon theme. And I just got really teary-eyed about it because, A, like, the emotional narrative buildup of the episode works really, really well to get us to that point. But also, for me, it's just that kind of nostalgic factor of I listened to this theme countless times trying to beat that level. And back in the time, it was like you needed really repetitive music that was good, but also really unobtrusive at that time because you'd just be playing that same level over and over and over again until you beat it. So that is one of those pieces where it sticks in your brain, but not in a bad way. And Capcom was normally really good at that when it, with its 8-bit platformers. Like the Mega Man soundtracks are all really, by and large, pretty solid. And for exactly that reason, but the moon theme just stands out as like touchstone for a lot of people my age. And I just got so excited when they incorporated that. And it's just one more instance of this new DuckTales series latching on to nostalgia and being like, here you go, 
actual target audience for our series, not the young people. <laughs> it's the 30-year-olds. And I so I hate that it works on me because nostalgia is a very tricky concept, especially in our late-stage capitalism sort of thing. And it's very insidious, and it's not great um, from a creative standpoint, but it's also just hits me so hard because it means that those moments where Adela starts singing that lullaby hit me all the harder because of my associations with it. And so I just went, oh, it's so perfect. It's it's so perfect. And I'm like trying not to sob next to my person <laughs> on a Sunday morning. And But it just worked really, really well for me. So for those reasons of like a deep attachment to this song, both from a personal experience, but also from someone who really likes video game music. And so it was just like, oh, this is so good. And I hate myself for being so good. <laughs> well, but I mean, I have, I never played the game. I was not aware of ever having heard the song before this episode. And it it works wonderfully for me as well. So it's not pure nostalgia. It's not a cheap uh, musical, you know, like deployment, I guess, because it, it yeah. works really well outside of that. And what I think is yeah. also easy to underplay is that this is like, like the show creators seeing you and 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 valuing so you know an experience you had that likely they had to or you know somebody in the production oh, department right yeah. and 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 sharing that and i think that that is that can, that can be powerful and so knowing you know what this is when we're going we should do this this is you know this will work it'll be a nice moment but also it connects to this larger mythology with this show and with our fan base it'll be a cool thing to do for the fans we're going to pay to use it, right? Because that's another rights thing. Hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully they yeah. had to. Um, but yeah, and, and it's completely effective even on its own. So sometimes when, you know, the, the references like that can be really distracting and take you out of the narrative when they are not done well. This one is absolutely perfectly matched to its material and, and works really, really well. So I think it's great. And uh, I also, you know, the uh, Judge John Hodgman, right? Narrative is, or nostalgia is the most deadly force in the universe or whatever you think. I, I, I hear where you're coming from, but I think it, this was a super legit use and not worth uh, beating yourself up about for having enjoyed. I, I do both at the same time, and I'm okay with that. Like, it's just sort of like how I exist in a lot of instances in late-stage capitalism. Mm -hmm. um, did you go, when you found out what it was, did you listen to, like, the original 8-bit version of it at all? I intended to, but I watched this really okay. late, so then I went to bed. Because okay, I was no, very sleepy, fair. and I forgot. <laughs> I'd encourage you to go listen to the 8-bit version. All you have to do is, like, YouTube search for the moon theme from DuckTales, and mm -hmm. you'll get it. Okay. Like, top result. And... It's only like a probably a 35 to 45 second piece of music mm -hmm. um, that you then listen to for five, ten minutes, depending on how good you are at the level. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it's really good. And I'd encourage you to listen to it and then like soak in the 8-bitness of it all and then maybe go back and rewatch the episode and hear how they sort of remixed it a little bit. Um, but it's just, it's such a good piece, and so I was very happy when they incorporated it. Yeah, I will be transcribing some Undertale music for a student recital coming up. Oh, before too so good choice! I will pass that along to my students. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I know the perils of video game 
scoring uh yeah. where it, that can be it needs to it tends to be very repetitive so like we're going to take a three minute piece and probably distill yeah. it down to like a minute and a half because it's the same thing yeah. over and over it's a it's a fun mm-hmm. melody and stuff but we got to figure out ways and th- this student is not yet able to like just jump it up an octave and do crazy shifting and everything to make it more interesting yeah. um so yeah finding that balance between a good melody but not too obtrusive but not too boring is it's a it's a delicate mix so yeah i'll, I'll have to go do my research for this one uh, our next episode is Full Frontal with Samantha B, which had their episode March 13, 2019 this week. Um, and the standout segment was definitely the animated segment. Noel, take it away. What what did we talk about this week on, or wait, what did we, what are we about to talk about <laughs> as we discuss this week's episode of Full Frontal? So um, one of the things that um, has sort of gone under-discussed um, and under the radar a little bit, if you're not completely tapped into sort of the animation scene apart from like really high profile things like the Ren and Stimpy issue, which hit like Buzzfeed um, is that there's plenty of also sort of sexual harassment and sexual assault happening within the animation industry that just kind of goes a little bit unreported or underreported in some instances. And one of those um, that kind of, again, went a little under the radar was the issue of Chris Savino, who worked on Ren and Stippy, Dexter's Lab, and a bunch of, like, really kind of touchstone um, Cartoon Network shows from the 90s, but also created, uh, more recently, The Loud House, um, which is uh, one of Cartoon Network's, I think, large, um, larger shows, or Nickelodeon's larger shows. I can't quite remember which. I think it's Nickelodeon. Yeah, Nickelodeon. Um, yeah, it's Nickelodeon. Um, uh, so, and I've seen actually a couple of episodes of Lot House and it's decent. Grey Delisi is like the standout reason to watch that show as she often is for any number of programs. Um, but he was known, had like developed a reputation for sexual harassment, but nothing was ever done about it. And so a number of women animators had started like a quiet Facebook group. And one of them came forward with a story about Savino without identifying him. And immediately a number of women went, oh, no, I know exactly who you're talking about. And they started doing something about it, basically. And the animated segment in this, which is, I believe, animated and storyboarded by the women who talk in the segment, outlines the uh, procedure in which they got Savino basically fired and more or less blacklisted, hopefully, knock on wood kind of thing, and not getting a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance or a fifth chance to do something else um, through gloriously, gloriously union and guild rules. Mm -hmm. And so the segment's really, really good. um, And A, it's really well animated in a very fluid sort of way and really well storyboarded. And then again, a very uh, fluid sort of way and it just it's really potent it's really powerful and it's actually i think one of the more potent sort of me too segments i've seen recently as well um in sort of the ways in which these women are talking about the how they did it and then having it animated i don't know that why i can't like put like a finger on it i think part of it is just the animation of it allows for a more fantastical sort of approach to it um, including like that last moment where it's like lifting up a sword and a group of people helping as opposed to one person having to do all the work by themselves. 
And I think that there's just something really potent about that and how it comes across in this particular type of segment that it's really good. And I saw in my Twitter feed that one of the really great, the other really great things about it is that this is a show that is a Warner Media show, um, but also in a sense of like, because they're stripping out all of the Turner branding, it's talking very explicitly about a person who was instrumental in a number of Turner branded shows through Cartoon Network, uh, when Cartoon Network was really on a big upswing in its original programming. And so having that on a Turner-branded show discussing someone who's really instrumental to a Turner brand is really potent and really powerful and really great to see, even though all of that's getting stripped out to be just Warner Media. Um, but it's really, really good. It's really important. And so that whole segment, I think, is just really, really great. And I really appreciated that Full Frontal made space for that and also made space for it in a format that made sense and really complemented the story. So I really want to talk about it for that reason alone, for this episode, for that reason alone. The episode overall, I think, is generally pretty good. But that final segment is just really great. Yeah, I mean, there have been just we talked about this recently, a depressing number of Me Too stories, right, that keep rolling out uh -huh. and hopefully will continue to roll out because goodness knows there's plenty of them lurking and that have not been reported on. It's not like there aren't more stories. It's just which ones are we going to hear about? And so to to give this one, give the the people speaking, speaking out um, space and distance via a medium they chose for their profession, I think is, you know, and they're, you know, going into animation is not something you do for the money, right? So it's not just a job. It's it's something that they it's their art, it's they it's something they love. And it 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 allows some distance from the pain uh if if that's what these these people want. And it also empowers them to to use their chosen medium of expression uh to tell their story of triumph after being harassed and abused and i think that's just really powerful it's potent and it's also just on a purely superficial level some a different way of telling a story that we've heard over and over again so i think that um yeah it also it also is a very strong reminder that these stories are not just happening in boardrooms and in it like the uh in professions that people associate with business people and with professions that people associate with adults a lot of people foolishly but a lot of people associate animation with children and like cartoons are for kids and so they don't necessarily associate yes but they are run like they are created and drawn by people adults, adults. and some people who are making like programs that you that you the viewer may think is just for kids are harassing their staff while they do it. Are they're not like wholesome? Not everybody who makes things that that you may consider kids' television are Mister Rogers. <laughs> you know, some of them are Harvey Weinstein, um, and so I, th I think that added a level of pot potency to it as well, at least for me. And yeah, I mean, it also lets you have a much more satisfying triumph narrative at the end, like you like you said, than maybe you would get in person, where it's just like, we got him and he's fired and he hopefully won't harass anybody else ever again. Like, yes, that 
that is a giant, huge, triumphant moment. But it's just more fun when you can visualize it with a, a you know, sword <laughs> or whatever, yeah. like icon or symbol of of uh, triumph and victory of a hard fought battle um, that that you would choose. So yeah, it was a it was a well conceived and uh, well thought out segment. I'm glad that's one they included. It must have taken a while to do. This story broke a while ago, uh, so I wonder when the idea happened. Um, but I, I'm glad that they still told it. I can actually answer that, and I should clarify a couple things. Of one, the people who were interviewed did not do the production and the animation oh, they didn't. For this. Okay, this- thank you. This was, but this was done by an all-female team uh, that was led by uh, Caitlin Fontana and Julie Levetsky. Um and it was storyboarded by Taylor Parrish and edited by Daphne Gomez uh, Mina. Um, and then animators on the segment were Jason Chun, um, Kareen Engel, um, Engel Lamb, and Megan Jones. Um, Fontana has a really long um, Twitter thread about it, but basically um, they shot um like the interviews last august mm-hmm. um and then um then the animation took like a number of like longer time to like get together cuz animation takes takes a while it was like months um and fontana mentions that they worked on it for months actually and uh, between other more timely pieces that she was working on at the time as a producer over at Full Frontal, she's since no longer with the show, is how long that this has been in production. It's like she's not working with Full Frontal any longer. Mm-hmm. And so there is all this stuff of like having to figure out how to put this together. And apparently their first cut of this, Kate, was 45 minutes long. I want to watch it. <laughs> I want to watch it too. Um, and so there's a really good thread about it um, that Fontana released when it finally dropped. Um, but it's very, very good. And I, again, it's just, it's really great. If you want to watch it, uh, Sam B posted it as a standalone thing. Uh, just search for hashtag me tune. Ah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. And just uh, give it a shot. Cause it's like, it's about maybe a four or five minute segment, if that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very, very good. And I'd encourage you to seek it out. But it's very good. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Also very good. I'm sorry. which just finished its second season with New York versus L.A. And what did you think? I mean, I we've been enjoying the season. Was this a particularly striking finale? No, not really. Which was the weird thing mm-hmm. of like the episodes this year. I just went... This was maybe my least favorite, um, but it's such a, it's a, a really high bar this season in particular because this season has been phenomenal. Um, but it's also one of those things where I went, okay, no, this is fine. And then it ends with the revelation that the tank top has just been a year long bit. So and good. Kate, I died. <laughs> I died so hard. And yeah. just the, how really pleased Andrea was with the fact that it was a bit and it was like oh we're going to have sex to completion four times and she's <laughs> like, this is so good <laughs> and it made up for the fact that the episode overall was kind of just so-so for me mm-hmm. so I just went I don't care 
because the cap the cap to this bit of like no that terrible tank top i was messing with you for a year is just like this is so good and this is why this couple is right up there with vi and hollywood (laughs) of the best couple on tv yeah no they're wonderful and you absolutely nailed it because the, the episode is, is solid and and i really enjoy the dynamic between the characters and everything they're exploring here i think around mortality and the sense of aging and and the peace that comes with uh watching your kids step up to the plate and then how that feels for them and like like it was an interesting discussion to have and certainly that reflection on mortality and the passing of time ties in with the anniversary and the finale and then we get the reveal of the tank top and it's just so good it's just so delicious it was really really good it's it's one of those like at the end of the year when we're talking about like finale payoffs i feel like this is going to be in the consideration for best of the year Uh, oh yeah yeah so again i don't know anybody else who watches i'm sorry but Listeners, you should, because it's delightful. And uh, they pulled off a season-long bit, and it felt completely organic. And I totally bought it. And then the reveal was just as as amazing for the viewers, I think, as it was for the characters. And that's yeah. not always that a show pulls that off. No, it's not. And I think that I, as soon as she takes off her jacket and mm-hmm. reveals this faded, ratty t-shirt, I just went, oh, this is good. I appreciate this comeuppance <laughs> that he's about to get about yeah. that terrible tank top. Mm-hmm. And then the show's like, oh, no, 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 no. Just you wait. sit down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a video. And it's just like the, the deadpan, but the, the restraint of like the legitimate restraint of like having not to cackle in delight that Tom Everett Scott is doing here mm-hmm. because it's like, it's clearly instructive, like, I want you to look as pleased as possible, but don't look as pleased as possible that you did, you pulled this off. Well, and it, he just nails it. It makes me want to go back and rewatch the rest of the season for those moments mm-hmm. when she's, when she's dragging him by the tank top. So that yeah. I can just like, see, cause he usually has a twinkle in his eye on the show anyways. Yes. Uh, cause yes, of the dynamic. Uh, but like, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just so fun. It's a, yeah, it's a, that saved the finale from just being, eh, you know. I still really yeah. like the show too. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All the points, well done. Yeah, good, good, good. good I'm gonna finale. put my jacket back on now. People are staring. <laughs> yeah, you should do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, well, I guess unless there's anything else, I'll move on to Broad City. Um, I caught up with season five, uh, this episode of Sleep No More. There's only two more left this season yes. before the series finale. And, um, if, you know, I got away from, I just got behind because it's a Thursday show. We are usually recording on Fridays. And so it, when I have to pick things to, to get caught up on, Broad City just kept, you know, falling lower on the list. So I, once I'm behind, you know, it's like I could watch one episode of this and be caught up for it with the with it for the podcast, or I could watch three episodes of Broad City to be caught up. You know, usually I go for more shows over catching up on a particular show. So I, I've been behind. I caught got caught up. The season has been terrific. Um, I've really enjoyed it. I think they've they've marked the passage of time well for the characters while also maintaining the energy of the show. They, you know, and by the end they're bringing the characters to a fork in their ro- in the road of their relationship and their lives that's a pretty potent one i did not anticipate this show doing that i won't say more but uh i think that that is interesting and has been well executed 
Um, and the performances continue to be really, uh, really strong. So, you know, they, they found a way to, to shoehorn a Darcy Carden, uh, uh, cameo in, in there, as well as some other little fun things for the finale or for like the last season, I should say. And yeah, I'm going to miss the show when it's gone. Yeah. Um, so my person and I watched this on the weekends together. Um, mm-hmm. so we haven't watched, uh, episode eight, Sleep No More, which is this week's episode yet. Uh, but it's such a good season. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of ridiculously good. Um, in part because of how strong the through line of, oh, we're 30. What does this mean now? Mm-hmm. And how does this change our relationship and our connection to New York City? How does it change our connection to the people in our lives? And how are the people in our lives changing? And this season has just done such a good job of exploring all of that. And in really delightful ways from um, Jaime moving out, basically, Mm -hmm. um, to the cryptocurrency matrix. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that that Um, is a look, man. That was that's a highlight of the month kind of look. It's so good. And to having Abby hook up with Claire Duvall and Claire Duvall be like, your life is just shenanigans. <laughs> and I need I need I need a little bit more than that and you should need a little bit more than that. And just like the pushes that are happening in their lives of where they are. And so I saw the promo for this week and I'm just like very excited to get around to watching it for the reasons that you've kind of hinted at, but the promo makes very explicit. Yeah. Um so I'm really eager to see that, but at the same time, I really appreciate that they're refusing to back, not back away from the gloriousness of their version of New York mm-hmm. still keeps coming through from like the premiere being very much like, we're going to walk from end to end to Manhattan mm-hmm. and th- how ridiculous that is, or the... Um, the, the, the randomness of following Alan coming to a drag brunch with a Holocaust survivor Mm -hmm. and (laughs) just the delightfulness of how kind of weird and whimsical their New York is and like not losing sight of that, but also being like, but no, this city is kind of terrible from, um, Alana's brother of like, why do you want to stay here? There's no doctors. (laughs) (laughs) You have to go to a vet. (laughs) Um, just all that kind of thing of like, it's such a good way to wrap up this show that I'm just so eager to see these last couple episodes. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they're just going to like, really, I'm really eager for like the emotional payoff of what this is going to say. Yeah. I will say though, that, uh, I am a little disappointed that we didn't get more with all of these different guest stars who have popped up. So Clea Duvall, mm-hmm. right, you mentioned. I was like, oh, right, great. Yeah. She's going to be around for a few episodes. We'll get some really good material. No. Um, no. Alan Cumming gets but like But she did sentences. look a lot better in that hat than Abby did. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was an appropriately hideous hat. Um, but also uh, Alan Cumming and Sasha Velour and, and uh, of course, Julia Caliente and um, Shangela and the other queens of the drag brunch. Like, you have these queens here and then you don't use them. But well, I'm more interested in Shangela than, in, than Alan Cumming. That's me. But I don't know. <laughs> Alan Cumming is great. Don't get me wrong. 
Big fan yeah. of Alan Cumming. Uh, and I really would like him to pop up on the good fight at some point. But, uh, but yeah. We will talk about that in a second. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but also, like, it, 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 there's a bit of a last, you know, like, final lap, you know, like, fold people yeah. in. And it can be distracting at times. And sure. so if that had been, like, two queens and Alan Cumming do a number, I feel like it would have been less distracting than, like... It feels like wasted opportunity and potential, um, mm-hmm. and which is a little disappointing. But I am still really enjoying this season, and we will probably we'll touch on it again. I'm sure at the finale, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to better things, which is also having a strong third season, uh, a strong most recent mm-hmm. season. We haven't talked about it yet, but uh, the first three episodes, I really like the structure of the premiere. Dropping Max yes. off at college. I thought that was very well done. And then these last two episodes have also been really strong. It's just it's like this slice of life show that isn't particularly interested in a narrative or a or a, even necessarily a theme. It's just very in Sam's experience and everything that goes with it. And I really appreciate that. I think it's working really well. Yeah, I think that one of the big things, uh, especially within episodes two and three, is sort of like the split in the episodes mm-hmm. of all right, we're gonna tell this bit here. We're gonna we're gonna jaunt off to what appears to be Hawaii mm-hmm. <laughs> and run through this real quick, and then we're gonna go to a parent teacher day of doing science experiments in the library, and just we're not gonna do any connection connected tissue between that, and then we're gonna return to this in the next episode. And so this kind of nonlinear approach to that very exper- experiential sort of lived in slice of life kind of approach is really delightful, and it it forces it forces you to kind of decode emotional states, which I really really like, and to kind of piece things together of like. I'm not going to give you your own apartment to, I may be graduating this semester. It's like, whoa, this happened very quickly. Where are we in this timeline? And, but it's also at the same time of jumping around makes sense. And I really like that aspect of how we're going to explore this because I feel like we're going to start like rewinding Well, the show's not going to rewind. It's going to force us to rewind. And I Mm -hmm. like that. And I'm excited to see where this is going to go because I like that whole kind of washing over type of stuff. Cause I even feel like, I feel like we're missing a couple of blanks from even that school visit. Mm. And I, I'm, if the show doesn't fill them in, those are fine with me. But at the same time, I'm like, but if you do fill those in, I'm really interested in how we're going to get those filled in. So I do think it's having a really strong season. And I like the sort of, we're just going to run and we're going to expect you to keep up sort of mentality that they have. And also, the show just continues to use um, Diedrich, um Diedrich Bader. Yeah, I was going to mention him. Diedrich Bader just so so perfectly. Um, yeah. So I'm really enjoying it. How are, how are you sort of feeling about like the structure? Um, about maybe Sam's going to hook up with this hot manager lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's going. You know, like I said, I really I'm really enjoying it and having. 
you know, like just embracing the many sides of her life without trying to fit them into a specific narrative each week, I think works really well. And so we spend an episode with her on set and then we spend an episode with her mostly not. Um, and just understand that they're both happening a lot of the time. Um, I appreciate Kevin Pollack back as her brother. I always enjoy him when he pops up and like the, like the kind of groan sounds that they were doing this week were super fun. Um, yeah, I like the I, the notion that Max is all like, "Well, I'm gonna finish out the semester, but okay, I gotta go. I'm not gonna listen to you talk about how you're gonna drop out of college after all of this. You're, this is not. We're just not doing that right now. <laughs> it's delightful, and I assume we'll return to it at some point. But the show is also perfectly comfortable giving her a life that's off screen that we can absolutely imagine. Um, but they don't need to like follow or. Uh, you know, like she doesn't feel like her life is paused while she's off screen the way that often happens when char- characters go off to college um, in like a family kind of sitcom uh, or just even a drama. So that's that's really appreciated. And uh, this, you know, the thread with Phil is one of the more interesting for me. And Sam's continued reevaluation of her relationship with her mother and the, the way that she's been interacting with her dead father this season as well, you know, that's been less successful in general. But I like the the I like the the discussions that's prompting within Sam, even if I'm don't, not always hot on the way they're showing it. Um, and and so yeah, I'm really interested to see where that takes us through through the season. I also appreciate that they have sort of put the other two kids in the back burner for now to really focus on Sam and not define her entirely by her. Uh, her attempts to, you know, raise her children and and focus on their lives. So I, I assume there's more coming with both of them, certainly with the cell phone with Duke. There's definitely more coming. But, oh, uh, yeah. That's going to be so bad when that... Yeah, it's it's going to be bad. Anyways, uh, but yeah, it's, the season's working really well. It's stronger than ever. Uh, and Pamela Adlin's really good at what she does. Yeah, I'm glad that this is kind of like, even though they're very different sort of shows... But I'm glad that this is coming in just as I'm sorry is like going out. Yeah. Um, to kind of fill a gap of like slice of life type stuff. Um, even mm-hmm. though they have very different tones and very different approaches to kind of doing that. But I'm glad that I have that kind of slice of life comedy in, yeah. in my rotation. Yeah, it's weird. I connect them as well. And it's not just yeah. because the protagonists are driving cars and eating food in their in their promos, <laughs> in their opening credits. But that's part of it. But, like, they're very different. Like, But they're both yes. funny ladies with an entertaining set of friends that we see them hang out with and play cards with. Um, and children, you know, very different age children. Uh, but but I think, you know, it's, it's two different women operating in the same field who could totally be friends who would love hanging out um and it would be delightful to see them interact and uh yeah i it's i do connect them very strongly in my head as well so i think the timing of it is rather convenient for us here on the podcast so yeah uh what wins your week in comedy um well we should mention bobs had a really good episode complete with a fair amount of singing uh mm-hmm. so much so that my person and i both thought that this was a finale mm-hmm. um but um also had tiffany haddish but also like we sort of both agreed off mic that bob's breakdown of being a workaholic and then not being allowed to work is very real and gave yeah. us both 
a lot of like, oh yeah, I know that feeling, but I, but I also know bread perv feelings because <laughs> yeah, I'm a bread perv. Um, <laughs> is that is that Shibata? Yeah, it's Shibata. Is like <laughs> I, I I felt I feel that is, is very fresh deeply. Out of, um, it's fresh out of the oven. I can, I can hear it crinkling. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear that crinkle. I can hear the steam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm very much a bird perv. Um, but I think I think I split it between segments of or like different parts of the episode of like moon theme deployment and ducktails, but mean tune in full frontal. I think kind of both win my week for very different reasons, but I'll give it to both of them. What about you this week? <sighs> It's tough. Like I it's even tough. was just like, maybe it's a three-way tie between the end of the "I'm sorry" finale. Right? And if you're going to steal like top. moments, you know. Yeah. No, because that's kind of where I am. It's just like it's these three things that basically made my week. Well, yeah, and like if I'm going to go full episode wise, it's Broad yeah. City or Better Things. They're both yeah. really good. Full like the in the whole episode as a whole. I mean, I I had to, I think I have to give to Broad City, but like. The reveal of the tank top or the moon theme are my favorite things on TV this yeah. week. So it's it's tricky. And I'm going to stop it there because it's our podcast. So we can give uh, bullshit, you know, sitting on the fence answers whenever we want. So that's what we're going to do this yep. week. So let's take a break. Listen to the NDA song from this week's episode of The Good Fight. Uh, so much Jonathan Colton. And we'll be right back with our weekend reality genre and drama. Jonathan Colton singing once again on The Good Fight. Um, they had their premiere this week. Uh, fun song, but I mean, not diminishing returns compared to the last time. And the last one wasn't even as good as the uh, the Roots Schoolhouse Rock kind of parody thing. So, uh, But it was still fun nonetheless, so hence the use of it here. This week in reality, genre, and drama, I'm just going to talk a lot. And Noel is going to... Yeah. <laughs> Be patient here. But we're going to kick things off with the season finale of Top Chef Kentucky, the finale that I'll talk briefly about Queer Eye Season 3, which dropped today, but I've watched six of the eight episodes. Um, I also watched the premiere of Project Runway Season 17, sort of the the reboot on Bravo. Then I'll talk briefly about Drag Race. Uh, this week's episode is Diva Worship. And I caught up with Star Trek Discovery. This week they had Project Daedalus. Uh, I'll mention Charmed very briefly, just for a moment. It's something I really appreciated from last week's episode, actually, um, which was the Manic Pixie Dream Girl um, episode. Then we'll round things out with The Good Fight, which had a season three premiere, the one about recent troubles. So first up is Top Chef. And drum roll. 
the top chef is kelsey how did you feel about the result did you feel like the pacing was appropriate did you like that they cut eric after just one dish or like what how did you feel about this finale I wasn't crazy about cutting someone after the appetizer um, sort of thing with that. Um, it, I, I didn't like that. It kind of really frustrated me a lot. I kept thinking um, about the food waste, all that food that they bought yeah. and then, and they started preparing yeah. and that they were, I guess, just going to throw out. Yeah. 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 I'm not crazy about that. And so that was really frustrating, but it was also just kind of frustrating from like an episode structure sort of standpoint of like, but but I wanted to see Eric do his whole thing. And it feels weird to eliminate him for this dish, but then be like, you can also make this again and here's some feedback on it. And I just went, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is a very weird sort of game we're playing right here, everyone. And so I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about that. Uh, but based on the flow of the meal, um, I think that the big problem was, and it's a problem in air quotes of like, you can't hide the fact that Kelsey was just killing it, um, <laughs> in this episode. It's just like, oh no, everyone really likes this across the board. And that was kind of like the one thing I really, really did like about this episode is that the table talk of like talking about the dishes was very different. I pre especially appreciated that one guy who was just like, uh, no, you all are wrong. This salty dish was delicious. You need to shut up because it was real good. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, I like this much more aggressive disagreement as opposed to Tim, Tim, Tom and Padma being like, no, I mean, I see where you're coming from, but no. And it's just like, but we've been doing this for 16 years. So we're not really going to yell at each other about this. And this one guy's like, no, I'm here. And I'm, I'm staking a claim. It's just like, this is very good. I want more of this when they do these sort of table discussions uh, kind of things. And um, I think a lot of that fed in by the fact that it was just a much more multicultural representation at that table than they normally go for on Top Chef. And so that made a big difference in people's approach to food cuisine and taste and i thought that was really good that they that's been the best thing about the macau stuff is like pushing people to use these kind of different ingredients so i like the finale overall in terms of like here's how we're gonna here the dishes that came out looked really really good but i didn't like the elimination of eric like 20 minutes into the episode for the reasons that you enumerated but also i was just like i just i want to see what he's going to do because his food's been really interesting and really compelling, and his narrative's been really good and really compelling. And to just kind of cut that short in the finale was frustrating for me. Um, how did you feel about it? It felt cruel. You know, start planning and imagining and envisioning your final dish, the dish, like the menu that's going to win you Top Chef and launch your career into a whole next level, next stratosphere. And... Um, and then I'm going to take it away from you. Like when they, they uh, told them that and you heard this like <gasps> sharp intake of breath from, from Kelsey. Uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's cruel. It's mean. And they don't need to do it. But they're doing it that way for drama, I I guess. Um, yeah. It's it, it's frustrating. And maybe there was a limit to the number of days they had to film or something. But I don't see why they couldn't have just done the first dish on a separate day. And then... It's like, decide what your your theme for your menu is going to be. Pitch it to us with this one dish. And like the way that they did on um, on, on, on Last Chance Kitchen to, to pitch to come back in, basically. And uh, 
then it wouldn't have felt again it wouldn't have felt so cruel so yeah that was disappointing but i gotta say i had forgotten that kelsey was a caterer definitely the caterer who's gone the furthest obviously she won oh, yeah and um having these i mean it was, it's always really fun for me when you can tell that padma has a personal stake and she was oh, she was man. so it's excited it's my favorite thing too she yeah. was so excited to have two women in the finale which has happened before but not very often and um yeah it was that was really cool um, that she made time for that on, on the episode. And and not just the, that she didn't just make time for that the first time that a woman won, like with Stephanie. Uh, is Izard back in, you know, Chicago Chicago Izard, Chef? Yeah. yeah. Um, or with Kristen or something, or Brooke, you know, uh, when they have won their seasons. But but still, that she continues to point to that um, each time it comes up, I think, is really terrific. So, yeah, it was, a, I mean, a strong set of food. It looked delicious, and like you said, I really appreciated the discussions they were having. They were they were more thoughtful. I thought. I also really liked them bringing in the family <laughs> previously, yes. and then having them leave, so they aren't tasting their their kids' competitors. You know what I mean? And then yeah. like the sense of them being pitted against each other, which was always kind of gross. This is a good way to adjust around that, which was in mm-hmm. the previous episode, I believe. Um, so yeah, in the end, I think I really came around to the Macau setting, even if initially we were like, why? why? This doesn't, yeah, but it, but it, I think it worked. And yeah, that looks like a, a delicious plate of food. However, if someone promises me peach cobbler and they give me that beautiful looking plate, I'll be confused because that looks like ice cream with some peaches and some little yes. biscuit croutons. That is not peach cobbler. Um, I'm sure it's delicious. I have no doubt that it's delicious. But when they're going on about, she's going on about like, I'm really good at biscuits. And then it's like this tiny little tic-tac of a thing. I would just be like, I can't even taste it. So I don't know if you're good at biscuits. So that was my thought on that. Did you have any other final thoughts on Top Chef? No, though, I was really upset that it took them that long to go get egg tarts. It's just like, that's the first thing you do. <laughs> yeah. It's so fun, too, that that Kelsey and Sarah, who both, you know, did such a terrific job, were friends from way back and had been, like, yes. like roomies, right? Or at least had worked in the same kitchen and, and stuff. It, that's yeah. really neat to see. That's not something that we often see in Top Chef. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was neat. And I also would have liked to see Eric's final menu because it sounded really interesting. So It did. Yeah. yeah. I imagine he will be back in a, a future, uh, like, All-Stars or whatever season of I Top Chef. I really hope so because... It's very good, and he's very good. Him and Justin, yeah. 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 Uh, well, that was Top Chef Kentucky. Uh, this week we also had, or today as we record, the return of Queer Eye for season three. and <laughs> It's so good, Noel. Like, it's even better than season two. Um, they have female uh, heroes, is what they call them. They're, they're makeover subjects. They have, uh, they have some really interesting people they center the episode on. So far... I think my favorite are the two sisters who run a barbecue joint in Kansas City. Um, and they are fabulous. And, but then there's also some, there's just so, they're really good. So uh, they have their first uh, a w- woman 
who gets a makeover, their first lesbian who gets a makeover, separate episode. Um, They touch on themes of um, identity. They touch on hunting and gun ownership. They touch on adoption. Um, They touch on substance abuse. There's a going to camp episode. Uh, It's, it's, it's really good. I really liked it. I'm going to finish the season today. So when you have a chance to watch it and or want to watch it, we can talk about it some more, but it's back yeah. and it's lovely and like all the feels, so many feels. Well, I was actually going to watch some of this today, but then I just went, oh, my person may want to watch She's, this. Yeah, going to want to watch text it. Her, but no, just watch it with her. Yeah. No, I'll just I'll just wait and talk to her about it and figure it out. But yeah, I'm I have a feeling she she'll want to watch it mm-hmm. and then it'll be like, well, can't watch this without her. Mm-hmm. Perils of watching having a partner who enjoys watching television is both great and terrible sometimes (laughs) (laughs) no i i look forward to your guys thoughts on it once you have a chance to sit down and you know cry have some tea they have tea in one of the episodes too and uh nice yeah enjoy uh project runway came back for season 17 i haven't watched it in forever in like 10 years probably um but the uh this is our first episode back on bravo which which got the rights back from lifetime it's sort of a it's like a soft reboot because tim gunn and heidi klum did not come back with them um and so they have christian siriano as the mentor and uh and uh, carly Kloss as the host um i think that's her name right the the model um nina nina garcia is uh back as one of the judges and they have oh i don't remember her name but the editor former editor of teen vogue who like put them on the oh. map politically i think yeah. it's like i know who you're I talking le- about but i, I also cannot something. remember her name yeah she's yeah. uh yeah she's she's i want to say it's like eileen something that says the w i could be wrong and then there's their other judge is a designer whose name is brandon something the reason i know <laughs> their first name is that they each each of the judges um had a took a uh, had a photograph that was from a moment where they knew they wanted to work in fashion or in the one reporters and in, in, in eileen's case in magazines um and in journalism and then the designers were splendid like groups and and four had to be inspired to create a garment by each of those photographs so that's and so it was like you you have carly you have like so that's why i know brandon but i don't know the last name of the designer um i think it was a good reboot of the show uh it had it looks great it has energy it feels very much like early project runway which apparently is not what the show has felt like recently um there's an interesting set of designers there's some that look pretty talented and, and have some interesting designs and there are some that uh are there to be fodder and we'll see what happens with it but i thought it moved nicely i thought siriano in particular did a really good job which will not surprise anyone who's followed his career and i yeah i look i kind of look forward to seeing like catching up on this next time i'm like sick and i need to and i need a show to binge like i'll probably watch project runway which it's been a long time since i said that so welcome back to bravo project runway we also had Drag Race this week. Uh, Diva Worship, my review is over at the AV Club. So you have not had a chance to see this yet. What I will say is we get one of the best team improv challenges that I've seen. 
And one okay. of like one of the best team one of the best team performances and one of the worst team performances in the history oh, of the now show. I'm doubly excited. Yeah. So like they, what they're doing are these sketches um live to to tape. So there's no second takes of like an evangelical hour like prayer hour uh worshiping pop divas. So there's two teams and they have to pick a pop diva that they are going to like the church of and then like they have to win over the viewer to convert to their church is the idea. And so there's some different segments. Uh, one of the teams crushes it. One of the other teams, it's just like, it's like, how, like I, what I talked about in my reviews, like, what do you do as an editor and as a producer? Yeah. When like, cause on this show, they fake it all the time. They're like, Oh, dramatic music. The one shot of the messing up the choreography. Right. They like to just pull a fake one, but here there's no way to fake it. Like there's no way to make it seem like the one team might mess up. And the other team is actually doing great. Um, so I thought they handled it pretty well. The the way that Rue handles judging, I think, is appropriate and works really effectively. And I'm not going to say more because it would rob you from the experience of seeing okay. it um, with fresh eyes. So we'll talk about it more next week. But I actually went back and like rewatched the first group. I'm probably overhyping it for you now, but... Um, I actually, when I went back to like keep writing my review, I went back and rewatched the one of the group's performance because I was like, I could watch that again, and I literally don't know the last time or if I've ever done that. So, sure, this, and maybe it's my lowered expectations because usually queens don't do too great in these challenges. But yeah, it was mm-hmm. fun. It was fun. Uh, yeah, I, I'm now all caught up on Star Trek Discovery. And this episode is Project Daedalus. And this has been a fun season. And I think they've really found a good groove. A big part of that has been Anson Mount as uh, Christopher Pike has really gave brought a very Star Trek energy to the show mm-hmm. in a way that's worked really effectively. This episode had some really great stuff with um, the character's name is Arnhem, like the robot-y kind of chick. Uh, I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of course I do. The yeah. w- one of the few characters in the background that I just went, I need episodes about that person. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, why have you not like, I, there's characters I care about. And there's characters that are Ash Tyler that I really don't care about. <laughs> and wait, is Ash still on this show? Yes. They have manipulated why? ways for him to not be on oh. a shipmate, but still be on the show. Yes. And it's very stupid. And, um, Ooh. but they don't, they have not spent any time really building out the internal lives of the rest of the bridge crew. And it's frustrating because if you look at TNG, if you look at original series, if you look at DS9, Voyager, any of those ones, actually knowing who your main crew are is essential to caring what happens to the ship. So if you say, Lieutenant Detmer, you know, space jargon, right? I I care if, if she messes up. Right? That's the idea. But right now I don't. You know, I could tell you th- many things about the internal lives of pretty much every bridge crew down to Sulu being into botany and fencing because they could never decide what to do with that character <laughs> in his off time. But like on, on TNG, they were constantly like putting on shows and musicals and Riker had his jazz band and like they all had fully, not sometimes very stupid, but fully fleshed out lives outside Hang of on, their... Sorry, I need to... I need to finish laughing at Riker and the trombone because, God, that's funny every damn time. <laughs> anyway, continue. He was cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so not cool. Riker's such never a dork. cool. No. No. Uh, but that's part of the joy. But the point being... That's not how a normal person sits in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> but the point being, the shows that were the least interested in their characters' personal lives and their... their off-duty lives are the ones that are the least well-remembered and the least uh, f- fully fleshed out. And I think most people would agree that that is Enterprise and Voyager. And um, this is episode, Project Daedalus, is a prime example of why it is a good idea to give backstories and hobbies and interests and pursuits and dimension to your bridge crew. So hopefully... They'll go, oh, people exist on the ship besides Tilly and, uh, like, the three other characters. Also, Jet is sorely lacking. They brought on Tignataro for, like, two episodes. And I don't know, I don't know where she is, but she's not doing snarky banter with Stamets anymore, and I sorely miss it. So let's bring her back, please. And thank you. Okay. Charmed did a Manic Pixie Dream Girl episode. And it was delightful, and uh, where like someone had trapped a pixie, and so was killing people to free up spots in a film class, so that uh, <laughs> so that someone could, yeah, because because it's a it's a it's a white male director, right? Who's just being inspired. It, it, it like it was really funny, um, but what I loved about it is that at the towards the end of the episode, this character, the pixie has her heart returned to her so there her free will is restored and she it's not funny it's devastating and she's clearly been she's horrified at what she's done now that she has her own will she killed all these people and um she just like is traumatized and has you know this is clearly so very violated i love that they did not play this moment for laughs they did not play it as anything other than horrifying and um giving that after doing a full episode of comedy giving that moment like not pulling their punches on that moment as she like leaves but just like clearly in shock in trauma you know having just incredible things that she's going to have to process and try to deal with um and not trying to do anything to say it's okay or to make it better um was really powerful. So props to, to, to charm for that. They also did a clear supernatural riff, which was fun where the, one of the characters is watching like a show from the nineties about two brothers from heaven that are angels. And one's a good guy. And one's a bad guy. One wears black leather and the other one always wears white and they're cheesy. Um, and they get like pulled into their reality. It's a whole thing. It, so it was delightful and super fun. And so there's, they're doing some fun things over on charmed uh, in the second half of the season. So, uh, I see you charmed. Um, this episode, <laughs> this is touched by a demon. Is this week's episode, so you can gather from the title. They're doing some fun stuff. Um, let's wrap up the week though in TV uh, with the Good Fight, which has premiere the one about recent troubles. Uh, I think this is a much better Me Too episode than the last Me Too episode I did. What did you think? No, it's definitely a lot better. Um, in part because like Audrey McDonald's really good in this episode. Very good. Um, yeah. Like the the steady like unraveling that she conveys of finding out what um her father did is really good. And like the conversation about that, um and how McDonald really channels and manages to channel into this kind of vulnerability 
and then this anger and then this like sudden paranoia towards uh bozeman of like you knew you're the one that put in these glass walls you knew and it's just like this is very good and from both a writing perspective of like bozeman's responsible for these glass walls Mm -hmm. which is a great question to answer just on a logistics level brilliant (laughs) i loved it i was like oh my god that is amazing and yeah like so good yes (laughs) but then to like have it like cycle into this whole thing of like you put these in because you knew what was happening but you didn't actually do anything about it and just Mm -hmm. like that was really good and then like feeding that paranoia into everything that's going on with diane and kurt um and is also very good like there's a really solid like sort of through line of unsteadiness in this episode that works really really well and so it was just a really good premiere on that level alone i think just from like a structural level and because it just felt so cohesive and then also sidebar to all of this is the fact that we no longer have day 400 or 300 or whatever for the episode titles and i could not be happier yes much better um even if they are doing friends episode titles now because all the episodes are going to be the one about the one with the one where this season but i don't care because at least then i know which episode i can (laughs) refer back to without an episode summary in front of me um so like next week's is the one about roy Cohn, and it's just like this is good this (laughs) is very good yeah but so all of that works really well i think um from like an emotional level and asking a lot of from both audrey mcdonald and then christine baranski but then it's also (sighs) kate this show's really weird yeah (laughs) and i'm not talking about the nda song which i think is meh overall because like you said diminishing returns but it's also just like we all know what an nda is anyone watching the show knows what an nda is so we don't need a primer about it and we know what they're really for but kate it's just christine baranski had a whole conversation with a shotgun wound scar and I, I don't know how to wrap my brain around, even in 2019, that this is something that was happening on a streaming channel. And it's just like, I don't understand, but I like it. I'm very happy about it. I don't need the Trump call and response sort of thing to it because that was a distraction. And because their Trump stuff is bad, their Trump impression stuff is bad. It's very bad. It's distractingly bad still. Mm-hmm. But. I think that this whole sort of like discussion back to the wound is just so good and really potent, even if I'm sometimes not like great about this. Well, when did men stop being Paul Newman and Burt Lancaster? And I just went, mm, mm, let's let's not. This is. Yeah, that's. Mm. Yeah, let's not do that. Um, even though, yes, we all acknowledge the fact that Paul Newman is very, very good. Capital V, capital G um but it's also like let's not do that let's not do that um but just this entire concept of like her taking time out to do like this five minute speech to his shoulder is really delightful but it's also just really really weird and i like how weird this show has become and the fact that they're really aggressively embracing that kind of weirdness and so i'm eager for more 
at the same time, and I, I, I just keep talking because you just talked for like 10 minutes straight. <laughs> I'm trying to give you a little bit of a rest. Um, wow, the show still doesn't know what to do with Maya at all. Like, aggressively at all. But this plot's very good. But it's also just like, they... They they legitimately don't know what to do with her yet. And I like that how it's sort of vaguely metatextual at this point of like, we don't know what to do with you. And the firm doesn't want you around in their branding. So <laughs> it like folds into things. And I kind of like that aspect of it. Um, but it's just, they don't know what to do with her yet. And I'm I'm hoping that this season they figure that out. Um, and, but I'm also here for the show just being like, Sarah Steele just has chemistry with everyone. So we're going to pair with Audra McDonald this season. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. And I continue to really enjoy everything that we get with her. The, the, the guy, I can't remember the name of the actor who has popped up several times and is always terrific when I see him, but being sent by Eli, I think is lovely and hopefully a precursor to him returning. Mike Penowitzki, I think, but the character's name is Frank Landry. Uh And, it's like I tweeted, Eli, you come and scream at Marissa yourself. You don't send Frank Landry to do it. <laughs> no one respects Frank Landry because he's a goober. <laughs> yeah. The- he may be like the DNC chair in Chicago, but he's a goober. No one has any respect for Frank Landry. <laughs> Yeah, no, the the conversation she has with Maya is terrific. Maya's um, magical glasses of of, uh, of sass, I guess, and confidence are yes. terrific. And um, yeah, I I don't I I like her feeling more confident. I don't like this sense that she's uh, entitled to stuff. Yes, because that's what it veers into is entitled. Yeah, because she's not and. If she's whether she's being cut out of pictures because of her family baggage or because they are trying to maintain their profile as a like as the beginning of the episode implies as a black led firm and a very uh like like they're trying to make it seem like they don't have any white lawyers you know it seems like maybe there's some of that in there there too um that's not great but also it's their purview. And so this notion that she's aggrieved there when she's gotten an excellent salary and they gave her a job when no one would hire her and all these different things, I think is not a good look. So hopefully the show knows what they're doing with that. I like, of course, everything with Kush Jumbo. She's fabulous as always. Um, Yeah, I hated, yeah, hated the stuff with the, the, the scar on the back and the notion that, like... <laughs> If it had been a discussion she was having in her head, I would have been fine with it. But the fact that she is talking out loud, like if she, if they've just filmed her and then used voiceover, I it would have been totally fine for me. Mm-hmm. But and like had the scar kind of look like a face and it didn't move, yeah. but that kind of a thing, you know, like yes. that I would have been fully on board with. But I was just like, oh, is she microdosing again? What's going on? You know. And that was a terrible part of last season. And, or at least in my opinion, I really didn't like that part of last season. And I don't think it worked. And I don't think this part works for her here either. Um, I also don't buy him shooting with Don and Eric. And I like, 
It's so against his character. Would he really do that for money? Because that is not who he has ever been. Um, that he would, because he he it was made abundantly clear that he is conservative and he generally votes Republican, but he was not a Trumper. They made that very clear in the previous seasons, and so the notion that he would be bought and sold by them, I don't buy. So again. <laughs> I feel like the good. I feel like the Kings don't know Kurt <laughs> for the second no, time in don't. two shows. It's, yeah, no, they love just like doing whatever they want with Kurt, mm-hmm. and like he's very much sort of a patsy in a lot of ways. Of like, we need something. Well, Kurt can do it. Is kind of how they approach Kurt, and I mean, it it doesn't work. But at the same time, they almost get away with it because Gary Cole's very good. He's very good. Um, And that's the only reason it even like sort of kind of works is because Gary Cole is very good. And if he was not very good, then it would just be a small disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I agree with you that the Don Jr. and the Eric stuff just doesn't work. I love how just ridiculous and melodramatic and weird the speech to the shoulder is like, I feel like it fits what the show is now. Um, whereas that is something that would have very much like been done as a voiceover on The Good Wife. Mm-hmm. Or done in some sort of weird memory pop, a la like the Decision yeah. Tree episode of uh, Will. Mm-hmm. Um, but here and this show, I feel like it works, but I really totally, absolutely see where you're coming from with it. And I disagree, mm-hmm. but... I think it would also work just as well the way that you wanted. You would have preferred it, and mm. I wouldn't have lost anything from that moment doing it that way either. I just kept thinking, when, uh, why isn't Kurt waking up? Because she's practically yelling, and he's asleep. I just, I it, yeah, that's all I could think. Um, I love the stuff though that we got, like you said, with Bozeman and Audrey McDonald's character, um, Riddick. I don't remember her first name. Um. I thought that was all terrific and from a sort very well done. And I look forward to what is coming for the rest of the season. Yeah, I am too. Cause we still got singing or musical or whatever the hell they're doing at some point this season with this cast. And it's just like, yes, over the top bearded <laughs> Michael Sheen. Oh man. He's going to choose so much, so much scenery, all of the scenery. So It'd be much. like, how is there any left after what the rest of the show is at this point? And they'll be like, uh, I'll find a way. I'll find something. I'll chew your shoes if need be. Anyways, uh, what wins your week in reality, genre, and drama? Um, I guess the good fight, because I didn't watch a lot of reality genre or drama this week. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, no, it's a good fight. Uh, What about you? Uh, Either Star Trek Discovery or really probably Queer Eye, because it's it's so good. Mm -hmm. I really liked it. I really liked it. Listeners, if you're in Kansas City, let me know if you've tried Jones Barbecue, because I would like to know if it is good. Hopefully it's really good. It seems like it must be to stay in business for that for 30 years or whatever. But um, yeah, so glad that show's back. Okay, now we're going to take a break and listen to the trailer for Amazon Prime's The Widow and come back and discuss that series, which is uh, interesting. Yes. Enjoy our conversation. It was a fun conversation. So let's leave leave it there. Listen to Trailer Read right back after this. Where is my husband? My husband. My husband. She 
Of a survivor. Is it him? Is it Will? She thinks, boy, fate is death. Why? Do you think I'm crazy? I think you miss your husband. I promise you, I will find him. That was a trailer for Amazon Prime's The Widow, which is a Kate Beckinsale action adventure mystery kind of show. And um, this is one that I hadn't heard about un- until you mentioned it. And uh, I feel I like- apologize. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of come and gone. And that's OK, because like I want I want to enjoy, especially right now, I want to enjoy a Kate Beckinsale action adventure kind of thriller thing. That sounds great. but. Uh, this is not good, and uh, I really don't need a white girl goes to the co- white woman goes to the Congo and teaches them about protesting and saves the day and rescues a child soldier and like gets lots of people killed because she won't give up and this trip can't have been in vain. Gosh darn it, there needs to have been a reason, and because she's the the white savior character, of course she gets to have a reason. She gets a happy ending and resolution comparatively. And uh yeah, her hair is like too great all the time. It's clearly been cr- like they're they're late running to the airport in the first episode and then they cut to them in the car and her hair has clearly been curled. And we're supposed to think that like they, she like threw it up in a messy tangle of a ponytail and like there's it's just it's too, oh gosh this is not good no and the best thing i can say about it is boy does this show know how to make you want to keep watching mm-hmm. um like the episodes end with really solid cliffhangers really nicely but then you also realize that most of their cliffhangers involve killing off a character three times across eight episodes and you go wait you guys are that's how you're ending all your episodes you're just killing people wait hang on hang on (laughs) that's not an escalation when you do it three times that's just a habit and you Mm -hmm. should get you should you should seek therapy (laughs) um 
Yeah, no, this is just deeply, deeply boring. And I apologize for suggesting that we watch this. Um, That's okay. You've because... watched plenty of questionable things that I have suggested. Way too many. <laughs> because I was kind of keen on this because I really enjoy Kate Beckinsale when mm-hmm. she's given really good material. I'm not like crazy about the Underworld series to a certain degree, but there are things in it in which she's good and she's fabulous in love and friendship, which is also you can watch on Amazon and it's really, really good. Um, but this is not something that she does well in and she's ill served by it. But then literally everyone is ill served by this show. Um, Charles dance just gets to yell at people, which he does very well, but we also know that Charles dance can do more than yell at people. Um, because it basically boils down to our, our protagonist played by Kate Beckinsale going around the Congo being really offended that no one else understands English but her. Mm-hmm. But not like offended, offended, just like, but I'm trying to solve this big mystery. Why doesn't anyone else speak English? <laughs> and it's like, but because you're, you're, you're in a place that wasn't, doesn't have a history of English speaking because it was colonized by the French. Uh, because but, why would they speak English there? Come yeah. on. Yeah, it's it's just frustrating because um, there are interesting pieces, but yeah. but I just they don't give you enough of a reason to care about most of the characters, and because it's Kate Beckinsale, isn't a good enough reason. Um, though mm. I don't, I I enjoy her as well, actually, more than I think uh like your average person does. I I can I appreciate what what she what she can bring to a property, but like when did we find out that she was actually in the army? Because I feel like I it does came out of nowhere, and I think I I may might not have been paying close enough attention, but I thought I realized that she w- had been in the army after she took a machine gun or whatever and shot a dude. Yeah, we find it out after that. Yeah, that's not good. She was in the Royal Artillery, and we find out in like the episode after that. I think. Um, yeah. So I think it's around episode four or five that we find out about that. Yeah, it it's just. Because cause they want us to just see her in no way, and then they want to have her kick a bunch of ass and then be like, oh, didn't you realize she was in the army? So she knows she can fight really well, and she's really good at solving mysteries. And Like, she wasn't a spy. She isn't, like, this doesn't make sense. There's... And- she also doesn't really solve anything. No. She just keeps yelling at people until they point until... her in the right direction. Yeah. That's not solving a mystery. That's just, have you seen this person? No, wait, they were talking about the other white lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that leads me to something and that kind of a thing. And it's just like, you're not solving a mystery. You're not putting together any clues. And also, spoiler alert, everyone, he's still alive and he's just a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the <sighs> almost all of the white characters live um, and <laughs> and a bunch of other characters get killed. Uh, and it's frustrating. Um, even I, I was at least connecting with Alex Kingston's performance for a while in this until it takes a turn at the end that doesn't feel earned. Um, nope. The setup for that doesn't make any sense. No, I liked her flashback episode. I thought that was good. Um, but yeah, if you're not even keeping me on board with Alex Kingston, then show you're not doing it right. Yeah, you're not. And there's like, 
I listeners, like I said, I suggested this. I did not finish episode. I didn't finish this. I have an episode left that I'm never going to watch. <laughs> you don't need uh, to watch it. No, I don't because I feel like it ending with with Georgia discovering that Will is still alive and has just been like, I've been too afraid to come out. And also I have a kid now and I'm just going to stay here is the correct ending to this show. Yeah. Um, okay. (laughs) All the other geopolitics stuff of cell phone technology smuggling that's happening with the mine is like just window dressing to me. That is, completely unnecessary but is what's driving all of the action because no one understands what's happening here yeah okay spoiler alert listeners if you really want to watch the widow you can stop you know pause the podcast go watch it come back okay so but here's the thing though noel is that in the last episode uh she manages to inspire the families of the people who died in the plane crash to protest and demand answers outside of the home of the the general Three or whatever. Years later? Yeah. And then because Whoa. like she introduces them to the concept of protesting, which they had never thought to do themselves clearly. Uh then she shows a video of that, sends a video of that through the phone to Will. And so he comes forward and gives a statement about what really happened. And then uh the general kills himself. And uh, Alex Kingston gets arrested. So she solves the Congo. <laughs> and then she goes back to a shack in the middle of nowhere in the UK. And the girl, uh, Charles Dance, brings the girl there who apparently he got papers for and she's going to adopt or something. There, You know, she, the girl says, you gave me a home. And she goes, no, you already have a home. We're just making a new one together. And Yeah. Listeners, Noel has his head in his hands. That's so bad. Yeah. Why? I'm really sorry you watched all of this. Yeah, but I, like <laughs> having seen the last one, I did not feel compelled to la- watch the last one other than just like so we could talk about it, so I would have seen the entirety for this discussion. Yeah. Um, but after having watched it, it's like it once you're in for seven, you might as well put eight on, what? like yeah. while you fold laundry or something. If I had time today, I would have watched it. Yeah, but I chose to watch Top Chef, which we did not discuss. Instead. Yeah, which was a better <laughs> choice. I should have done that. Uh, but like, just so you can be like, oh, but this can't be a this. They can't like. They're not going to have the the white lady show up and like be like, but you should care more that your family's all died in a bombing. You're right. I do care now. I care because I thought my husband died, but he didn't die. And also my child died. And I need closure on that, which is very sad, but it's also significantly modulant and overplayed in this series. But the Congo is is a total corrupt, you know, mess right now. And that's not okay. Oh, it isn't? Oh, I thought it was okay. I guess you're right, lady. Like, oh, my God. And and they're not saying that directly, but that's absolutely what happens in yeah. this. And it's just like it's so tone deaf. I mean, I don't know. Like, what well, I don't know who thought that they needed to. Is this based on a book or something? Or like, where did this idea come from? Who was like, you know, what we haven't seen enough recently: white savior movies. Yeah, I mean, it's um, co-production between like um, ITV over in the UK and then Amazon Video has the um, uh, 
U.S. and other international mm-hmm. stuff. But no, I don't think that this is based on anything. This is just an original whole cloth story um, that went, yeah, let's do a lady white savior story, but with a little bit of action. Not a lot, but a little bit. So we're going to we're going to kill the the African friend. We're going to kill the blind guy. We're going to like all of these characters who are more interesting and have who have more going on. Oh, let's let's not say that the blind guy is more interesting because we just get hints that he's interesting in his past life that they never do anything with. It's just like. I know what you did and before you got in that plane, Charles Dance says in his very Charles Dance sort of way. And then we allude to it and then we kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm sorry. I'm deeply confused. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is there anything positive we have to say about it? That woman who played the French off self-righteous indignant French woman is really good. <laughs> okay. I don't even remember who that is. Yeah, no, she's the one that was like smuggling some stuff over the border to ah, pay for the coffee. One. Yeah. Yes, she was good. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't have, I don't, I really don't have anything really positive to say about this. Um, yeah. Even like Peter Bella was fun and like the kind of uh, like trashy lady with the daughter, like that was fun. There was some good intrigue there. Uh, but like the Peter Bella character, they can't decide whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. Like he's a good guy because he saved Will, but then he's also a bad guy because he like killed her friend. And like, I, and it didn't feel like it was an interesting contradiction. It felt like it was a, let's keep doing twist upon twist upon twist. This is several too many episodes, um, too many twists, not enough there, there. Oh man. So this is going to be a short segment. It's basically what I'm saying. Right. No, I feel like, yeah, there's just, there's nothing really good to say. It's clumsy. It's structured well until you realize that they're leaning too hard on killing people mm-hmm. um, to get you to like speed up the fact that Amazon only makes you wait four seconds for a new episode to start, which is like six seconds less than what Netflix does. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, oh, well, I don't even have to press anything. It's four seconds. Mm-hmm. I barely have a chance to see who the executive producer was. Yeah. Um, and there's that kind of easiness to watching it. But then you just realize that it's boring and not interesting. And it can't find, it can't say anything new. And it can't say anything new in a way that, feels like it's not some sort of retrograde late 90s, early aughts sort of story of a white person going to Africa because they've been wronged and Mm -hmm. then help Africans realize something about themselves. While she also realizes something about herself. I mean, like, she, she goes along with an aid group doctor's group to into this village or to the small town or whatever and proceeds to you know get into trouble and or get you know they're in a dangerous area and and they keep helping her because she's kate beckinsale it's like you've known this person yeah. for a minute like well we can't leave without blah 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 it's like you can't why can't you i'm pretty sure you can i'm pretty sure you can there are people with like there's like roving bands of people with guns who are who just came into town before you got there and killed somebody i'm pretty sure you can leave the person who lied to you about being a journalist behind but yeah there's yeah. Lot, there's lots of that like well you're the protagonist so that means like people she like lands in kinshasa and like everybody just like the right number of people are bending over backwards to help her 
just be at, at a time when no one else will and she just asks really emphatically and then it were then, then they're like well i guess i will endanger my whole family okay yeah and that's what it boils down to is, again is that she doesn't solve anything she just yells at people until they it's sort of like wandering around in a town in a video game until you find the right npc to talk to to get your side quest <laughs> and then is, they tell you what yes. to do and that's exactly what this show is yeah no that Yes, that is an excellent <laughs> assessment. Are you like, are you over Amazon, these Amazon Prime originals? Like, what do they still have that is of interest? Because a lot of these have been misses for me recently. The Tick's coming back super soon. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Um, they lost their streaming rights to a bunch of good anime, so don't need a reason to watch them for that anymore. Um. Yeah, I don't really feel like anything has really grabbed me. Like, Maisel was fine. Um, but, yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I'm, like, super excited about from them. Um, I mean, there is that Lord of the Rings thing, Kate. Oh, God, I could. I like. I don't think I could care less. I could not care less. <laughs> yeah. The a trailer came out for, for that this week, and I was like, really don't care care about the mindy mindy kaling emma thompson movie yes care about that do not care about this there is there is however that um david Tennant michael sheen show <gasps> good omens you're right that was a good trailer there is good omens there is good omens that i know my person is very excited about i have absolutely no stake in it apart from wanting to watch those two men chew all of the scenery which they will but which they will and i'm there for that but i have I don't have any expectations about this program beyond that. Yeah. No, I've started to do like, I'm sure that they will be good and I will probably watch good omens. Um, but I started to do this thing and I've done it for a while, but much more actively recently where when a new show comes out um, or a new property, I look at the list of people that they're announcing as being involved with it. And mm -hmm. if it is mostly or all dudes, the sh the thing goes down in my estimation unless it's something like for example the terror where there is a very good plot reason that the yeah. cast is mostly dudes but like i've noticed with a lot of the gaming things i've seen it's almost all dudes uh, all the main roles all the actors that they are ex excited and hyped about and want to really promote and that is once again true in good omens it's like five dudes and then a couple ladies and then a couple more dudes uh and so because of that and because i'm more aware of that and i notice it a lot more than i used to it's been hard to get as excited for it and the same thing was true with american gods when it was coming out and and some of the other neil gaiman adaptations that i've been like sort of following um so yeah i hope to to be pleasantly surprised with with it i mean they're they cast forensic McDormand as god so i mean i gotta watch for that but that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it, though. Listeners, let us know if there's another Amazon property that we should be, you know, checking out or keeping up with or any of that good stuff. I mean, is is um uh the the Nazi one, alt reality, Man of the High Castle, is that still going? Yes, I think so. Okay. Maybe that one's maybe that one's fabulous. I got away from it a while ago. Who knows? But certainly don't watch The Widow. Save your yeah, time. Yeah, don't. 
don't watch The Widow. There are, there, go read a book instead. There's so many better things to do with your time. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. Or you can find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews there and also over on Stitcher where you can find our M4A feed as well. And of course, we are both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. Kate. Kate. <laughs> Kate. I can say words, Kate. I also can say the words, uh, especially because I edit the podcast. So people just don't hear when I horribly bungle them most of the time. Anyways, on that cheery note, <laughs> thank you, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Televerse. <laughs> 